Now, his name was Luke, written to a man named Theophilus, which means lover of God. You guys have that down. Very good. And uh, uh, Luke is a historian, does a great job of recording facts and uh, researching facts. And in Luke, we saw the life of, of Christ from uh, birth through death and resurrection. Acts uh, begins with uh, Jesus coming uh, after the resurrection and spending time with his disciples, ultimately ascending and sending the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1. And then we see the beginning of the church as uh, it exists today. All started here in the first few chapters of the book of Acts. And I, I would encourage you as you read it and as you study it that you would relate to it that way. That you are a continuation of what started in the book of Acts. In some ways, and I always want to say this cautiously because the Bible has been written and recorded and done. Um, and we're not technically adding to the Bible. But in some ways you are still living out the book of Acts as the church. And, and I hope you relate to it. And we talk about being a part of his story that's what we're talking about. The church is still being the church, doing the things the church was called to do. You're a part of that. And in effect, you are still part of the book of Acts. And we're still doing the same stuff, called to the same thing, and supposed to be moving in the same direction. Um, obviously, you know, things are a little different 2,000 years later. Uh, and we're to be as effective as we can be and utilizing whatever we can to help spread the amazing good news that we have. At the same time, the message has remained the same for 2,000 years. The core message is still the same. Christ died for our sins, was buried, was raised again on the third day, and lots of people saw it. That's the heart of the good news. It's, it's, what, um, it's what we need to know happened in order that we can be reconciled to God. And that's the message that we have and that they had and uh, we continue to present. So we're going to look in Acts uh, chapter 6 tonight, and actually chapter 6 is pretty short, and really 6 and 7 go together. It's kind of the same flow of the story, so we're going to put them both together. What that resulted in was a ridiculously small font in your bulletin. So, if you brought your Bibles, you're probably going to be way better off looking there or grabbing one off the rows, okay? Because that could just be absolutely nothing as far as I'm concerned. I couldn't distinguish one letter from the other there. I can with my glasses, but way too small. But still wanted to put it there for those of you that can still see. Which is, uh, I bless you if you can. <laughs> I mean, I can still see. I just, I have to use all sorts of stuff. So let's, uh, let's get right in. Um, I think I'm going to read 6, and then I want to talk about it for a minute. And then so much of 7 is kind of a, a, this amazing apologetic message that Stephen gives to the religious leaders. We'll talk about that before we get into it. So let's start with the first, uh, for the 15 verses of Acts chapter 6. In those days, when the numbers of disciples was increasing, the church was growing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. 
Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Acts chapter 6. Now, this is pretty interesting stuff, and, uh, and, and so let's stop there just for a moment and talk about it uh, before we, we move along. Um, here's what happens, first off, is that the church is growing, and we know from the end of chapter 4 and chapter 5, in the beginning, that what, what's happening is the, the believers have all things in common, and they're bringing uh, what, they, what they can into uh, the corporate body, and, and then resources are being distributed to the church as, as they have need. And, and so there's this big group gathering now that's together, and the uh, Jewish believers from the Greek Jewish believers, that's what we're talking about here, the Hellenists who've, who've come to know Christ, um, and remember, you know, all these early converts in, the, in this time were, were Jewish people coming into Christianity. We don't see Gentiles coming into the church for a little while yet. They believe that their widows are not getting a fair share of the distribution of what's happening, and so it causes some problems. Now remember, up until this point, there's been great community, and it's been an amazing thing. Almost, you know, this, uh, we talked about it last week. It's like almost, you know, paradise regained almost. The closest thing that, that we've probably seen to utopia on the earth since the garden uh, and before the fall. They're, they're just together. They care about each one another. They love one another. There's not, the, you know, the, the selfishness and everything is, 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 is just not a part. But now all of a sudden, here comes an issue in the church. And um, this really could have been a big problem. Could have caused a huge split in the early church. And yet they, they pray and they handle it really well. And, and the apostles, the twelve get together and they have a discussion. They say, listen, let's, let's not get all this, this caught up in this. We've got we to gotta start to delegate some of these responsibilities so we can do what Jesus taught us to do. Let's pick some guys and, and have them get involved in this whole thing. And the neat thing is, when you read the names of the guys who were chosen, a lot of them were Greek. That's how they fixed it. 
They just said, well, we'll put the guys that are having the most trouble in charge. <laughs> and that'll shut down the complaining. Because if you still got problems, talk to your guys. And it was great wisdom. See, it just fixed the rift right away. Oh, well, we had a problem, and now we don't, because we, we can make sure that the distribution is, is equitable and fair. And I'm sure it wasn't meant to be any other way, but they were feeling left out. So in they go. So guys like, you know, Stephen and Philip, those are Greek names. Um, and, and so they would have been included in that process. And, and so it's in that uh, situation that we first meet Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And, and his responsibility, initially his main responsibility is, is this distribution of food. Um, and yet he's also involved in the ministry because the church, everybody, even though you might have a task, is ultimately called to all the stuff that we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be praying for people and caring for people and looking for needs and stepping into them and, you know, being thankful and encouraging to people. And we're doing all this stuff. And though we may have some assigned tasks uh, in, in the body of Christ, we're also supposed to be doing whatever else the Lord lays on us to do. And Stephen uh, is very gifted and, and God uses him mightily because he's willing. And he steps out there in all sorts of ways and, and, and God uses him to do miracles and all sorts of things. Well, some of the, the Jewish leaders, remember, we've had a problem all through the Gospels, first with Jesus, and then even in the early book of Acts with members, of, you know, the apostles, they've, they've all been arrested and tossed into jail. Uh, you know, they got Peter and John in chapter 4, they got them all in chapter 5, tossed them into the brink, um, but they're all out doing the thing. And, and they don't know what to say to those guys, so I think they start thinking they make them pick off some of these newer people because they've had no success with the apostles whatsoever. And so they start having discussions with Stephen, and, and these are you know, religious people having discussions with Stephen, and Stephen is very persuasive. He's, he's speaking by the Holy Spirit, and they can't, they can't come, you know, they keep getting stopped, stymied, put in their place, which is just what Jesus did to the religious leaders. Think about the things that Jesus did. Every time they tried to trap him, who should, you know, should we pay taxes? Well, give me a coin, Jesus said. Whose picture on it? Caesar's. Yeah. Well, give to Caesar's what Caesar's. Give to God what's God. Don't you love that stuff? Or the lady caught in adultery. Well, the law says she should be stoned. Jesus says, you're right. Here's what we're going to do. Let the first, you know, let the person without sin here, you, you cast the first stone. What happens? They all walk away. Don't you love that stuff? See, that's under the unction of the Spirit, and they were running up against this same thing now with Stephen, and they... <laughs> so they do just what they did to Jesus. They can't, they can't overcome it in the, in the right way. They don't do the next right thing. What do they do? Let's find some people to lie about him so we can kill him. Sound familiar? Let's get some false witnesses. We're going to hire. and they hire. Let's, pay for, let's hire some false witnesses, get them into court, say bad things about Stephen so that they'll say, hey, we can just take him out and do away with it. And, and that's what they do. So they hire some very, very religious sounding, isn't it? So that's what we, all, we should always do when we're getting a little opposition. Rather than think, hey, maybe it's God, let's go lie about it really big and see if we can't defeat it that way. So, so that's the process. And they, they drag these people in. And um, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, gives an amazing defense of the Scripture and of Jesus and how it ties into the Old Testament. 
and the way that it's weaved through the process and how the religious leaders of Israel time after time after time have fought against the things of God. Every time God comes and tries to do something, they resist. They resist change. They resist the spirit. They don't want to do things differently. We've seen it time, and that's what Stephen's saying. You've done it time after time after time, and you did it with Jesus, and you're still doing it. And, and so I, I'm going to, I just want you to, I'm going to read you the defense, but watch how he weaves this thing. You can tell he's, he's got this amazing anointing of the spirit of God that's upon him in this process. Acts chapter 7, verse 1 and following. Then the high priest asked him, Are these charges true? To this he replied, I love, see these guys, didn't, he wasn't yes or no. It's like, oh, an opportunity to preach the good news. Here we go. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. If this story is not familiar to you, you need to go back and read through the book of Genesis. God spoke to him in this way. Your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said, and afterward they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. And Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan bring in great suffering, and our fathers could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers on their first visit. On the second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and our fathers died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had brought from the sons of Hamor at Shechem for a certain sum of money. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. Then another king who nothing about Joseph became ruler of Egypt. So again, this is just a great, like, um, let me ask you a question. When you were in high school, how many of you ever used cliff notes? Or maybe in college, you ever hit the, you know what I'm talking about, cliff notes? They were these yellow books with the black on them. <laughs> I used a lot of cliff notes. This is, that Stephen is doing a great job. He's just cliff noted Abraham chapter, or Genesis chapter 12 through 50. That's, that's the gist of that story. Uh, he dealt treacherously with our people, and now we're moving into Exodus, uh, with our people and oppressed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born, 
And remember, if you're ever having a bad day, Moses was a basket case once too. If you don't understand that reference, go back, read the scripture. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't plan on that, it just came out. At the time Moses was born, he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, that's when he was put in the basket, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. It's interesting because that's not how we necessarily read the account in Exodus. But anyway, he, came, he got to that. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was retreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight, which is pretty reasonable. As he went over to look more closely, he heard the Lord's voice, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come back to set them free. Now come. I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses whom they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself. Through the angel appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and did wonders and miraculous signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the desert. This is that Moses who told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the desert with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, and he received living words to pass on to us. But our fathers refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They wanted a little salt, remember? They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and held a celebration in honor of what their hands had made. But God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the heavenly bodies. This agrees with what is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the desert, O house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of Molech and the star of your god Rephon, the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our forefathers had the tabernacle of the testimony with them in the desert. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. Having received the tabernacle, our fathers under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations of God, uh, from the nations God drove out before them. Now we've moved through the first five books. We're in the book of Joshua. It remained in the land until the time of David. Big jump. Moving there. Who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon 
built the house for him all the way into the book of Kings, Second Kings. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by men. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you bid for me, build for me, says the Lord, or will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked people, with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not prosecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, including John the Baptist. And now you have betrayed and murdered him, Jesus. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. So he's used the word they all know so well, and he's laid it out in such a way that they're just convicted. But see, the thing is, they're not convicted to repentance. They're just angry. They don't want to change. They're once again doing the same thing he's just said has always happened. You're resisting the Holy Spirit. You, 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 you kill the ones that God sends rather than listen. And you know they're about to do it again with Stephen. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So Stephen becomes the first recorded martyr of the church, shed his blood, all the while proclaiming the good news, pointing out to a group of people who still had a chance to repent where they had missed it, laid it out for them scripture by scripture by scripture by scripture, and rather than repent, they resisted. They didn't want what God was really doing. They wanted what they were doing and wanted to call it God. That's the problem. And that's always the problem. We have to be so careful. We want what we want. We want to call it God. And that's just what they did. And Stephen just laid out the scripture against them. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of things I just want to talk about here at the end. Um, one of the things is we get introduced for the first time to a guy named Saul. And he's kind of a witness to this whole thing, watching it and giving his approval. You'll, he'll learn more about Saul here in a little bit uh, in the book of Acts. But that Saul is the Saul who becomes the Apostle Paul. And so he's got this memory as the Lord starts to work on him in pretty amazing ways around Acts chapter 9. And we'll see him invited in in his ministry. There's also something that um, you need to see here um, that I'm always amazed by. Because Stephen is in the process of being killed for his faith, for just telling the truth. And, and it's happening, and he looks up to heaven, and he says he sees Jesus standing there. Do you know that any other reference that I can find in the book 
to Jesus. He's always sitting at the right hand of God. He's always sitting. Here's what I think happens. Jesus is well aware of what's going on, and he sees what Stephen's doing, and he stands up and gets ready to welcome him in. He stands up. I mean, that's, that's how amazing that whole process is. Jesus stands through the process, and it's the only place I see it in the Scripture. He stands and prepares to welcome Stephen in the glory with him for what he did. And, and Stephen takes his cue from what Jesus did on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They just refuse to listen. They refuse to repent. They refuse to change. Their hearts are hardened. And that's the process. So that's what's happening in Acts 6 and 7. Powerful story um, of the first martyr of the church. There have been so many martyrs in the church and still are to this day throughout the world. Um, and, and people that are laying down their lives to present the good news in many, many places. And so we need to be you know, constantly involved in prayer and, and see you know, how we're to live for him as well. And that's that part of the story. And that's all I have to say about that today. If you're watching by video, thank you for watching. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you guys soon. Hi to the group up in Ocala, doing well. Um, if you need anything, you can call us or write us. If you're watching my video, we'll do what we can for you. We're going to shut down here with prayer, so you can turn off the video if you would. And here in the room, if you want, you can pass to me your prayer requests, and I will pray for them before we close. If somebody was up there to turn off the video, let me see you give me a thumbs up out the door, please.